0: Amen and praise God. Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So um, I thought we'd talk a little bit more about until God speaks. Amen. Until God speaks and and how important it is. I was speaking with someone um, who had uh, uh, seen our live stream. They participated and seen all of the meetings and so forth, and they were saying, remarking about the worship and uh, this person is a prophet and and they were saying he said you know i just love the way that just flowed just from the worship and it flowed into the prophecy And he said i really really like that it's good i'm so glad to hear somebody say that besides so all the time you know but um, but um, i explained to him some of what god had Mandated us to do uh, with these conferences, and, and part of that mandate is uh, uh, his initial word to me was to showcase the office of the prophet, so that people would see all aspects of the prophetic voice or the prophet's office or the prophet's voice in the earth, and that's why we've always had the mimes, the <laughs> dance, <laughs> art, the this, the that, and uh, you know, and it's been a good thing because. I think in that way you can open up, open people up more to hear the voice of God and to know that God can speak first one way, then another. He'll speak in all kinds of ways uh, through people and through their gifts and through their abilities. Uh, we've had rappers here. We've had, you know, uh, um Musicians that you know, musicians always have great freedom uh, in the meetings and and uh, all of that. And so, uh, it's been a joy to see how God can use people and use their gifts and their abilities to speak His word. And so, but it was exceptionally good to hear someone who was really not that familiar with that aspect of. Prophetic ministry to say how much that was appreciated and how much they got out of it uh, and and hearing the current voice of God and what he 's saying to the church at this hour uh, to hear it um, declared like that and demonstrated in the in the messages and so forth and so uh, it 's always good to see. What God can do when he speaks and how he can open up our understanding with his word, uh, with his now word, you know, with his uttered word, his rhema word, what's on his heart in this hour. And so it's always good to uh, see that that's doing its job. I always felt that prophecy comes first uh, because it lays a groundwork for the rest of the meeting and for the rest of the Uh, four days or three days, whatever we have. It sets a tone for what we're doing. And and most of what God has done is, is to make us alert to the fact that he is working on his people at all times. Because I think there's always this thing where people think that God's not doing much or there's not much going on or Uh, You know, things are dead, so forth and so on, but God is always working. He always has a good plan for his people, and if you will listen for the voice of God, you'll find your place in God's plan, and you won't be taken off guard when God starts to move upon you to do certain things for him. You'll expect it. You'll know what's coming, you'll know that you have a part in it, and you'll know how you are to participate in it. And so that's always been the blessing of the prophet's ministry, is to know what God is doing. What, what time is it, spiritually speaking? And so um, it's always good, too, to anticipate God telling us. What to do. We're not going to be ignorant of anything. We're not going to miss anything. Uh, he reveals secrets to his servants, the prophets. He always has, he always will. And so, as long as prophets are able to speak, uh, we'll know God's voice, won't we? Because those gifts are put there for that reason. And so, it's good to understand what God's doing, how He's doing it, why He's doing it. And through whom he is doing the things that he is doing. Uh, and so it's good to be in the, the know and in the now. And not in the past and not in the future. Somewhere you're not supposed to be. But but be in the now as far as God is concerned. Anticipate what he's doing right now. What's next? And be right there to receive it. So that's that's a blessing. It really, really is. So, But anyway, um, we're talking about... Um, uh, Until God speaks, what will happen? We talked about the fact that there was gross darkness until God spoke, and God's word brings light, and it brings life, brings understanding, even to the simple. Uh, You don't have to be highly intelligent to, to know what God's saying. Um, I think it's good to use what you've got for God, but yield it to God. You know, if you're if you have intellect, great intellectual prowess, and you don't yield that to the Lord, it's not going to avail you very much. So, uh, in any rate, you've got to come through God to get the best of what the world has to offer and the best out of yourself. Confusion reigns, we said, also until God speaks, and we talked about. Jesus calming the storm and settling a a little family dispute between the wind and the waves and and keeping the confusion away from those two elements so that they worked in harmony and they safely were able to get to the other side of the shore. Uh, Until God speaks evil rules, and we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, in the life of the Apostle Paul. So if you'll turn to Acts chapter 8 is where we'll pick it up. Um, Evil ruled during the time of Jesus Christ. We saw that uh, when the Bible says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power and he went about doing good. Not evil. He went about doing good. Even though he was accused of many things, he went about doing good. The Bible says because God was with him. And so he demonstrated that God was good, his mercy endured forever, he was ever merciful to everybody who came to him expecting and people who came to him by faith. Uh, God was Jesus was always good to those people. He was always good to them. The Pharisees, though, because of jealousy, the Bible says, always accused him of doing something evil. And that's true today. Jealousy will always make an evil pronouncement on on somebody there's always going to be somebody who does something a little bit differently than we do. maybe do it better in our estimation. I don't think there's any better or or worse in God if you're all using god's power uh, It's all to the good you know you can only do good using the power of God. And so I believe that many times when we uh, see things where people are highly criticized, it's oftentimes out of jealousy. I think sometimes you'll you'll know people aren't doing the right thing, but you don't have to go around announcing it. You know, God will take care of those things if people pray. And so I think it's always good to, to let jealousy be far from us. Uh, when we're evaluating other people, whether it's their ministry, their fruit, or whatever it is, uh, just be aware that, that that thing will pop up and try to get you to push evil onto other people because you want to have what they have in your life or in your ministry. And so we all will have our time to do good if we continue to serve God and and do it under the power of God. You know, the power of God will always yield good fruit. And so if you want to be a servant of God, uh, you have to keep those things in mind. But uh, um, it is possible to call good evil and evil good because of ignorance. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. He was so steeped in the religious tradition and religious teachings of the Jewish faith that he felt anybody that said anything differently was worthy of death. And so the Pharisees uh, in all of the religious sects actually from from the uh, Old Testament uh, Jewish religion considered themselves to be kind of like what you might call the false watchman. Uh, They would watch Jesus in the natural, in their flesh, to see if they could ensnare him with his words. And so many times when he would preach, the first three roles would be nothing but religious spirits sitting there, um, just watching to see if they could catch him in some kind of... um, uh, I guess religious or or technical snare, so that they could accuse him of breaking some type of the Mosaic law, some rule under the Mosaic law. They were particularly looking for laws that he broke that would uh, give them that would justify them stoning him to death. Uh, this is what they did with prophets in the Old Testament. They were allowed to stone them if they were uh, they were found to be false prophets if their words didn't come to pass which they didn't do a lot of times. Uh, they had a lot of people prophesying falsely, and they were never accused of anything. They had sorcerers and witches in full operation and, and even went to some of them from time to time, but they never did anything for them, to them. And so one of God's reasons for uh, uh, terminating the old covenant law is that they never carried it out the right way. It was always carried out with partiality. If you went to the city gates and you were accused of something, you could find a judge that you could bribe so that you didn't have to pay the penalty or whatever. That was just common. And so God did away with the law because it was weak, the Bible says, because it had to be carried out through the flesh. Anything that's carried out through human flesh is carried out through human weakness, through human partiality and through human means. And so those laws had to be done away with. They weren't perfect anyway. The law itself was good, but how it was ministered was not right. And so God has to take what's good out of a situation and preserve it, but make the administration of it different. And so in the New Covenant, it's administered by God through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of Christ that lives in you, uh, through uh, the Father God who has the, the, uh, the will and the understanding, the timing of everything that has to be done. So Jesus himself lives in us to carry out his word and carry out his will. You'll never get anything better than that. You'll never get anything stronger than that. And so where he saw where we failed and our ability to carry it out, but uh, God knew we would fail, The the law was given to teach us right from wrong, again, because we didn't know. We lived in ignorance. And so in teaching us right from wrong, we come to the conclusion we can't do this. We need a Savior. And that's the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. And so the law being done away with uh, now is written on our hearts. We can carry it out because our hearts have been converted. They've been changed to a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. So all of these things are taking place around Paul and he doesn't really know how to handle them. So he stays with what he knows and that is carrying out the Jewish law. He carries it out with a vengeance, though. And so they are finding people who are, are Christians, what we call Christians now, converts to Jesus, believers. And Paul takes it upon himself with uh, another group of religious leaders to uh, persecute these people and accuse them uh, of uh, blasphemy, uh, to accuse them of violating the Jewish law. Uh, there will be something that he can get on everybody because they'll be able to, as they preach the gospel, uh, you know, they won't be able to hide that they are serving God. They, they, this is something that, that just comes out of us. Uh, so it's something that's undeniable. When God puts his hand on your life or He, uh, you're born again of his spirit, uh, that's something you can't hide from anybody. That's that's That becomes very obvious. And so, Paul is is um, persecuting Christians. He's getting uh, legal papers to accuse them before the Jewish court and then before Caesar because the Jews were uh, under the authority of the Roman government. They couldn't carry out their own laws independent of Caesar. They had to go through both governments. So you see the religious church being married to the world. It's always been married to the world. Uh, the church is, is always modified its laws and its rules so that it can be more compatible with the world. Uh, You see that with denominations now that used to preach the gospel and preach it very uh, uh, vigorously. Uh, Now they're ordaining homosexuals, allowing same-sex couples to be married and to be a part of their congregations. Uh, where that was never true before. So they have lost conviction, really, for the word of God. And so you'll see this marriage of the church with the world intertwined throughout history. And so Paul, the apostle, has just um, uh, had Stephen murdered. uh, As Stephen is preaching the gospel, they said Paul uh, voted that he would be stoned to death. And Paul even held the coats of those that stoned him. And so you can see he's very zealous for the uh, Jewish law. He doesn't, he hasn't had a revelation of Christ yet. And so this is how evil is ruling and among the early church. There's great persecution among the newly born church, the new believers. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they can't do the works of God and continue as a church. God has made provision for us. I don't care how much we're persecuted. God's provision overrides the persecution. Amen. And uh, you, can, you can live and, and die another day. You can live to preach the gospel many more days if you'll continue. <laughs> Amen. And understand the provision of God. Not so much what the enemy's doing, but understand the provision of God. So in Acts chapter 8, Stephen has just been murdered. Saul had held their coats Saul's evil reign uh, uh, in in the early church among the early church uh, was with the persecutors of the church, so in Acts chapter nine and verse one, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the lord's disciples you know he's just going on and on and on, and you know no stopping him. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters. To the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what the early church was, uh, that's how they uh, uh, named themselves. Uh, they called Christianity the way in the early days. It says, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So we know that God is light. When there's evil, there's darkness. When God appears, he appears as light. And so this light flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So you can see there's no darkness that the voice of God can't handle. There's no threat against God's people that he cannot turn around and make that person obey him. So this is evidence right here that we have nothing to fear. Because as soon as that light came upon Saul... And he uh, was knocked to the ground, it said in one translation. He's getting up off the ground. And so Jesus tells him exactly what to do. And he has no doubt that Saul is going to do it. And so this is what we have to be aware of. When God gives you something to do, you're not, this isn't your fight. This is not your war. You're not out here by yourself. You're not here without protection. Uh, you're not going to be stopped in what you do. You know, I hear people say things like, well, uh, you know, uh, I was going to go do this and go that, and, and the devil did this and did that. Well, what did you do in response to that? See, you don't. Know, the problem is that we will let him stop us and let him have the last word with what he's doing. And you have to understand that God gives you authority. If you have authority, you must speak it. Uh, You must do something to counter the enemy so that your authority in the situation can be established. And so you see here Paul is is, um, not down. He's not powerful anymore. Uh, The Lord tells him, now get up and go. He's giving him firm commands and you will be told what you must do. And so he tells Paul uh, get up and go where I tell you to go now. And that's what what, how God stops evil he does it by converting people who are doing the evil he does it with a change of heart he does it with a change of direction he does it by overpowering those people he does it by revealing to them that they're not all that and so Paul felt pretty powerful I guess while he was on his way <laughs> persecuting these Christians but then Jesus steps in and says it's me you're persecuting It's not people, see it's not us, it's him. This is his fight, this is his war. And he stands with us and he stands for us and he fights for us. And so all we have to do is take our stand. You notice Jesus did this himself, he didn't look for any man. If if the enemy is so big and bad that they won't listen to a human down here on earth, God will speak to them himself. He, it, it, there's no stopping what he his plan will not be stopped. It won't be stopped because of of uh, wishy washy Christians, <laughs> wimpy Christians, <laughs> fearful Christians. It won't be stopped by anything. It just won't be stopped. And so if if the Lord has to come down and visit people Himself, He will do exactly that. So don't worry about people. Don't worry about what they're doing. Don't worry about their evil. Just continue to take a stand. Declare God's word. Don't go over to the enemy's side. Don't get scared of him. And don't let him see you shrink back. And don't let him see you be fearful. Uh, just go to God with your concerns. You know, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. It really looks bad uh, for what's going on in the earth right now. But but I'm trusting that your word is true. I'm trusting that you will stop evil. You will stop the, the onslaught of evil in our city. You'll stop Stop uh the the kidnapping and, and torture of, of innocent people. You'll stop those things because this is not your will. Don't let yourself go passive on evil when you see it manifesting. Always have that holy posture on the inside of you where you stand up on the inside. And you resist that and you fight it. and You declare against it because this is what God uses. He uses our prayers. He uses our faith, our heart cry. Uh, those things he uses. And whatever he needs to, uh, to remedy that situation, he'll make sure it gets done. So it's up to us. To, to make the plea but it's up to God to get it done and so you see how he deals with Paul or Saul um, the, uh, <laughs> the Jew running around killing all the Christians and he says get up and go into a city and you will be told what you must do so uh, God has no problem seeing Paul under his authority the problem is with us. We sometimes think people are so bad and they've been getting away with this for so long. When is this going to change? When is God going to do something? Uh, sooner than you think. <laughs> He'll do it in his time. And then, t- too many people, when God does move, people who have, if you take that posture of you don't think it's ever going to happen, it won't happen as far as you're concerned. Because you'll get the attitude and the, the opinion that God, Nothing's different about that. Nothing's different about that situation. Nothing's different about you know, I hear people uh, talk about uh, racism is still as bad as it was. No, you didn't live during the 50s and the 60s. You didn't live during the 20s, 30s, and 40s. You weren't a slave back in the 1800s. So you can't say, but people will say things like that because they think that gives them power to take that stance and take that position. That gives you nothing. It just gives you a, a blindness to see any hope and any desire for change in the future, you know. So those people will pretty much keep the same opinion that they've always had and and often won't do their own part to try and remedy it. Sometimes the the change needs to come in your attitude uh, toward it and start to expect things to be different. And so many times Paul would run into believers after he'd be converted. They were still scared of him. And they didn't trust him. They didn't trust his preaching. Uh, He would get flogged when he would go into different cities. It's like whenever Paul would show up, oh, we got somebody we can beat now. You know, he got beat in every city he went to. Every city. And so it it was a tough go for somebody like him who had a reputation and got converted. But God used him. God converted him and he used him. So it says here in verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but didn't see anybody. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So you have a man here who is rendered helpless by the power of God. We can be voluntarily rendered helpless, or God will overtake us and overpower us and render us helpless. but God has to have that uh first place in our lives He has to have that uh he we have to be he has to be our sole focus at some point in order for him to do the work in us that He wants to do many times if you think back when you were a new believer. Uh, You didn't want anything but what God wanted for you. There were periods and seasons where uh, you would just feast on the word or you would just stay secluded to yourself to hear what God would say next. It's the same thing. With Paul, it was mandatory. God imposed that on him. Uh, with us, oftentimes, is voluntary. We just are led into that season where God is everything to us. All we want to do is listen to you know. I can remember uh, early in my walk with God, fasting for periods of time, and and it was one of those things where I would fast during the daytime because uh, my husband expected us to have dinner together every night. Well, when you're if you're wise. You understand what I'm saying? You don't try to be heavy handed with what you do in God. You know, people never get saved if you starve them to death and tell them you can't eat and I can't eat and nobody can eat. <laughs> you know, you don't have that kind of authority over your your home. But uh I I would just do that and by the time he got home it was time to eat. You know, the fast was over and God had had shared some things with me or I spent some time with God if nothing big happened, nothing big happened, but that was what I desired to do to Keep my entire focus on God. You know, when you're distracted and running around doing this and doing that, God can't do much with you. You know, he's got to have your full attention. So fasting really is more about being attentive to God, uh, focused on God. With with Paul being blind, he didn't have anything to distract him all he could do was wait and see what God was going to do next. If it didn't happen the next day, he didn't get his sight. He just didn't get his sight and he didn't eat. If it didn't happen the next day, he didn't get his sight and he didn't eat. But then finally, uh, God spoke. And it says, in, for three days he was blind, didn't eat or drink anything. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. God knows everything. He knows the timing of everything. Suppose some do-gooder had come in and wanted to pray for Saul. On the first day, wasn't time yet. And so we have to realize that God has a, he has things under control. Once you pray and you're believing God, you have to have confidence that God has got the answer. Uh, he's got it right in his hand and he has a day when that answer will be delivered and it will be finalized. And so uh, he says he's praying, says, in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias said, <laughs> you mean the Ananias who lives around the corner, right? Not <laughs> Is there another one somewhere you can send? He says, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now this is something that's interesting. Believers being so aware of trouble that they can't see a remedy. You got me? See, you can have your mind so filled with how bad things are that you can't see a remedy Nor can you see yourself being a part of the remedy, nor can you see that remedy being successful. And that's exactly where Ananias and the early church were. Lord Ananias answered, I've heard all of these reports about him, but the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, God tells you enough to, information to get you motivated to do exactly what He wants you to do. This Ananias is concerned about uh, Saul. He's saying this man's an enemy, and Jesus says, No, you need to go and set him free because I've got a work for him to do for me. So, that's enough information. To get Ananias to cooperate with him and do his part, no more, no less. So when God speaks and he, when evil is ruling and God speaks into that evil situation, everybody who has to play a part in it is able to play their part and to do exactly what God wants them to do so that God gets the glory and his work gets done. It's There's no... Uh, I guess you could say glory hangover for anybody. Because Ananias is going to be doing good to just see he can get off with his life and Saul won't per, uh to get papers against him when he shows up there. This isn't a man that you voluntarily go and visit if you're a Christian. You stay away from him as far as you can. In fact, they hid from Paul many times or Saul many times so that they wouldn't be discovered. A lot of the meeting uh, places that the Christians had were really places of refuge for them. They they were allowed in only certain ones were allowed in. If you weren't a part of the way, you couldn't get into these places because they knew they were hunted down uh, by the Jewish synagogue and by the local authorities. So they they didn't didn't you know voluntarily reveal. Who they were, where they were. They didn't make big pronouncements about who they were, but they did obey God. They they did preach when God told them to preach. You didn't do a lot of unnecessary things if you were a part of the early church. And so God gives him instruction. He tells him he's a chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so he gives him enough information. Verse 17, And Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. Real quick, (laughs) he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And so you see, Paul was able to fulfill all righteousness, just like all believers. He submitted himself to the disciples who were there, who were sent to minister to him. And so he was fellowshipping with them. They say he spent several days, and in uh, the next verse, 19, he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. So this is typical of converts. They fulfill righteousness, receive the empowerment from God, and then begin to share their testimony. And so Paul begins to share with everybody That Jesus is the Son of God and he begins to talk about his conversion. So when he was blinded, he was blinded really first by religion. And then he's blinded by God. You see, you can be blinded by either one. You can be blinded by darkness or light. And so when we trade in our blindness, our spiritual blindness, or, or a blindness because of darkness into a blindness because of light, then we're able to see clearly the things that God wants us to see. Paul is able to focus on what God wants him to do, what God wants him to say. He's totally converted in the space of three days. And this is phenomenal. You know, most people are totally converted, you know, in in one instance. But Paul had to have some things imparted to him because of the work that God had called him to do. So he was converted first as a believer and then converted to the work all at the same time. There are some people who receive God like that. They are told immediately uh, what they are called to do. And and God has to put that in you. That can't be put in you by people, by man, you know, And I guess, you know, when you have somebody say like Paul would be um, in our modern day, um, somebody probably on the same level would be maybe if Jay-Z got saved or something like that. Not that he's persecuting Christians, but, you know, he lives in that world. He's a success in the world of darkness. And so many times when people who are prominent like that In their world, come into the kingdom of God, you find this whole flock of people who want to go and minister to them and want to tell them what they're called to do and, you know, give them all these assignments and tell them, you know, God is going to use you to do this and God's going to use you to do that. Well, no such nonsense happened with Paul. He was totally set apart and God ministered in those three days with no food, no water, and totally blind, I'm sure the Lord Jesus Christ imparted such things into his spirit that nobody could come and shake that out of there. This This is the true conversion. This is the true impartation. When what you have is put in there totally by God, and man's hand is not on that to... Uh, twist your thinking about it, to divert you over into some kind of calling that people think you should be involved in, Um, that's one of the the pitfalls, I think, of, of the modern church is how prominent people are treated. Uh, when they come out of the evil world over into the world of 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 uh, light, you know, uh, these people have to be handled by God in order to get their assignment straightened out and and uh, you know go where God wants them to go and do. Look at all Paul was able to do just by that three day impartation. I mean, it doesn't take God long to put in your spirit what needs to be put in there. It doesn't take, take long at all. It doesn't take uh, 15 trips to 15 different prophets to get words to find out what you're supposed to do. Those, those things have to be brought from within you, brought out so you can see them. That's what prophecy really does. It, it really is a, a reflection of what's on the inside of you already. The prophet can only read what God has inside you. Uh, He can't put anything new in there out of his words. You know, it has to be something uh, that's already ordained of God for you to receive. And so I I can remember when I would first prophesy to people, it seemed that I would always, and I still do it to a large degree, uh, speak to their gift and their calling. Um, You know, there are times when people are perplexed about problems and things like that, and I'll speak to things that that God is going to bless them with in the natural, but pretty much it's been to, and I would always see it as a a book that was open to me. It's not something that I possess. It's a book that would be open to me, and I could see myself reading pages, uh, words on a page, and I would keep reading until the words faded away. And so that was my proportion of faith to speak what God had given, uh, shown me, but it was always already written about people. It wasn't something that was new that was coming up. And so I just don't believe there's anything that's, that's about us that could be totally brand new that's not already written in there. You know, there's details maybe that we don't know and so forth and so on. Or, or if there's a time on something, uh, that time will be revealed if God reveals it to the, to the prophet. But pretty much it's, it's explaining to you who you already are and you should be familiar with that to at least a small degree there'll be a witness on the inside of you uh, that that is true about you whether you've been aware of it or not uh, you can there's a ring of truth there for the person to to uh, relate to if it it's something that's not you, it's never going to fit. And so nobody can make it fit. And so with with God spending that time with Saul, I believe Saul probably was relieved more than anybody because then finally when you when God begins to set you in your place in the earth, in the body of Christ, wherever he's setting you in, finally your life begins to make sense to you. You finally understand, like Paul can probably understand now, why he was so relentless in persecuting Christians. Because he's called to be relentless in revealing Christ to people, and that's really what he thought he was doing. He thought he was revealing truth to people. Uh, that uh, this You missed it. This man's not the Messiah. He's a pretender, and we're holding on for the real Messiah yet to come. And so he was very adamant in doing that, and, and, but had to be set straight. And so that's all that, that the Lord is doing with him here when he calls him into ministry. He sets him straight, and he begins to reveal to him what he really is called to do. You'll see afterwards Paul goes about preaching in every city, in every synagogue he goes to. Uh, This kind of um, uh, good and bad thing follows him all the time. And he even asked God to remove it from him. He talked about the messenger of Satan assigned to him to buffet him. And so that was part of that was his reputation. Uh, the other part of it was uh, demonic forces that constantly uh, tried to tear him down and malign him. Because if you can can think about the disciples who had been with Jesus, it would be hard to find something against those men. But with Paul, it was easy. You know, this guy persecuted the church. You mean you trust him? Let's away with him. Let's kill him right now. And so Paul had a little bit more difficult time, but God used him anyway, and he was faithful to what God had called him to do. There will be some people who will have a very difficult time uh, with credibility among men. Uh, with getting in certain kinds of doors open to them because of reputation or past reputation, uh, we see it in the world now among god 's true servants sometimes you're uh, we 're held back because of what people have heard about people in our denomination or people who stand in the office that we stand in. Or, you know, other prophets have done this and and they went away with our money or they didn't tell us the truth or something like that. So we're all hindered by some type of a a messenger of Satan to try and keep us from going forward. But God will give you the power to keep plowing through and going through. You're not going to have an easy road. It's not going to be Anything great or wonderful, most times it will be one that you will have to fight to stay on. You know, you're going to have to come against some kind of opposition. If you are carrying the power of God. Now, if you're just giving people a feel-good message, you're not going to have a lot of fight. You might have a few people whispering against you, but you can ignore that and just keep going through. Not saying that they're not Christians and they're not giving people some word of God. But I am talking about people who carry the power of God to heal, to deliver, to cast out devils, to set free. That kind of power. That stuff the devil hates. And he'll, do any, he'll tell any lie he can tell about you. He'll do anything he can do to stop that kind of power because that's what validates God in people's lives. And so when we see evil prevailing, we know that God's voice must speak up and, and challenge that evil. Now in this situation, the Lord did it himself. In many situations, he does it through his people. He does it through the church. And he'll do it through people who will obey him and who will be faithful and carry that message forward. In Exodus chapter 1, if you'll go there, you'll see how evil prevailed against the children of Israel as they were coming out of Egyptian bondage. Or as God is is setting them up to be delivered out of the hand of the Egyptian Pharaoh. Exodus chapter one, verses fifteen. Starting in verse fifteen, you see the children of Israel are multiplying. Pharaoh has always put already put them to hard labor, so that they're not able to uh, bear up very well under the oppression of the pharaohs. They're got them building their uh, cities and, and uh, the pyramids. We know that was built by uh, Hebrew slaves, much of it. And so the, the, the threat is that the children of Israel, because they multiply so quickly, that they will outnumber the Egyptians and the Egyptians will not be able to control them. So first they start with oppression, giving them hard work, heavy labor, so that they don't have time, hopefully, to procreate, and it, the Bible says, though, the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied. And so there is a principle there of God that when uh, there is a, a fight against good uh, by evil, God causes good to multiply. Uh, there is a saying that sometimes Christians will will um, Will a phrase they will use sometimes when somebody is killed because of their faith? They'll use this phrase. They'll say uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed bed of the church. They say that when martyrs' uh, lives are taken, and uh, that causes increase in the church. And so, uh, but I think oppression. Period will cause increase in the church because God will not allow the gospel to be stopped. It's not hindered, and it it won't be killed, and it won't be stopped. We're talking about living word here. And so if the enemy tries to stop us, we just increase all the more. You know, you may go underground for a season, but you'll find that increase all the more. And so in verse 15, it says, the way they thought they would remedy this the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on a delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him, if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and didn't do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. When the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, "What have you? Why have you done this? Why did you let the boys live?" and they made up a story and said, "They're not like the Egyptians. These these babies are born before we even get there." And so for that, God was able to bless the midwives because they obeyed His voice in letting those Hebrew children live. So the thing of it is, when oppression comes, God will speak to somebody and give them a remedy for that situation. There's a remedy for every trouble that comes against the church. There's there are remedies in the earth right now for the things that we see that we think are insurmountable. There are there are remedies and there are answers right now in the earth right now. It seldom comes through the people that we think is supposed to come through. God uses obedient people. Who would have thought these midwives would risk their lives to save these baby boys. But they were in a position to do it. They knew right from wrong. They knew the right thing to do. And so they obeyed the voice of God as God spoke it to them. And they preserved the baby boys alive. And they increased and they multiplied. So because the Pharaoh was given this definitive answer, it worked. God's answer will always work against somebody who's trying to oppress his people. When it's God, God's answer, it works. Other answers will not work, but his answer will. And so he finds these two midwives he knows he can trust. He puts his word inside of them. He speaks to them, and then they begin to carry out the word, and that word works. That's how you know God's in it. It works. And so part of who they saved was... Somebody else who would grow up to speak for God. And that baby was Moses. And so you'll find this when God starts something, he finishes it. When he begins a remedy, he continues until that remedy is totally remedied. If he has to wait and raise up somebody, wait years for them to grow up so that they can understand his word, so that God doesn't care how long it takes, he is carrying out his word in the earth. Whatever he starts, he will finish. And just like he started with these Hebrew midwives And they were able to preserve somebody who would grow up to speak for God on a grander scale. That's what's happening here. So once God's word of deliverance goes out, it will go into one vessel and you'll see this like domino effect of God's word. It keeps reverberating. It keeps speaking it keeps manifesting. It keeps running around on the earth, finding somebody who will believe that word and who will carry it out and do what God tells them to do with it. it there's no stopping the word of God. So when God begins to speak into these oppressive situations, in these situations where evil is ruling, ruling That word, once it goes out and it's obeyed, has like a a domino effect. It continues to boom, 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 hit different individuals, hit whomever it needs to hit, sets up the next person to hear God's word, sets up the next situation where God's word will be spoken into. Just that one word that comes into that situation will set it up. In fact, we know that this word was spoken uh, over 400 years ago, and it was spoken to Abraham where God told him that his descendants will be in Egyptian bondage for 430 years. And at the end of that time, they would be delivered. And so this word of God is the same word that went out initially. It's just being repeated in different situations. Whenever we go out and preach the gospel, it's the same word that was spoken back in the garden, that God would send a deliverer who would bruise who would crush Satan's head and that Satan would bruise his heel, but he would deliver the seed of God out of the hand of the enemy. It's the same word that we're preaching now. And so this word has the ability, sometimes if it goes dormant because of evil increasing in the earth, that word is still very active in the earth. And God will speak that word to somebody, he'll raise up a new voice, that has maybe a different translation for this generation, maybe speak into a different situation for this generation, but God will raise up a voice to speak that word into the situation that he's be spoken into, and so that God can prevail and God can move. And so his word has to come and speak into these evil situations. God is a confronter. He is not a manipulator, he's not subtle. He knows how to speak, and he knows to whom he wants to speak. He always um, involves people that are trustworthy that he knows that he can trust so in Exodus chapter three, we see this word that manifested in the life of Moses. God told the Hebrew wives not to kill the baby boys they were brought forth alive. Moses went out uh Uh, Really, he's running away from Pharaoh because he's uh, killed an Egyptian soldier and buried him in the sand because he's now feeling the call of God to help his people and to liberate his people. Uh, As you know, many times we can step out with a zeal to do good, but if God's not with us and he hasn't prepared us to do it his way, uh, it won't work for us. And so we have to make sure we draw back Moses. This is Moses drawing back uh, from a misfire in his ministry. And so he's about to encounter God and and have an encounter with God that will change him forever, cause that purpose in his life to manifest in a greater way. So, you know, you can do some things to help people without God, but it will be very limited. God has a bigger picture in mind. He, uh, Moses was trying to help a couple of Hebrews and, and God wants him to liberate the whole nation. And so what we do is we, we trade in our carnal means of doing things uh, to do it more in a spiritual fashion so that we can get God's work done in a greater way. So in Exodus chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 3, you see it's Uh, It says, verse 1, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, so he's been out of uh, um, uh, Pharaoh's household for some years now, 40 years as a matter of fact, at least. So he's up in the mountain of God, and there an angel of the Lord, verse 2, appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, Out of curiosity, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him within the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here here I am. And God tells him, don't come any closer, take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he introduces himself, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob. After this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He said, and the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good and a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. They have this discussion uh, that we all kind of have with God when you know when the things of God are totally new to us, uh, we feel totally inadequate to do them i don 't know of anybody who feels adequate when God really speaks to him you know if 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 it 's not God speaking to you, you might feel like it 's a breeze or you 're ready to take on the challenge, but when God really speaks to you, it always brings you to a place of Identifying who you really are and how ill equipped you are to do it. You know, you've got to look for God's equipment to do it. God is doing several things here with Moses. He gives him full disclosure of his entire ministry in this one conversation. And this is very typical of God. He will tell you exactly what you are to do, how you're to do it, uh, what it's going to mean to the earth and into the people and it will be a blessing to people. All of this, we are to look for the manifestation of everything that God tells us is going to happen with us, with ministry. When he calls you, he gives you full disclosure. God even tells uh, um, Moses that he's going to bring people back to this very mountain to worship him after this is all done. So then Moses has no excuse for leaving the job half done. He says, okay, this will be a sign to you when you have thoroughly done everything that I've told you to do and you know that I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish in you, you're going to bring those very people back to this mountain and worship me. It says that in verse 12. It says Moses said to God, verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites up out of Egypt? That's a good question. See that's the question of somebody who understands that they need God for everything that they do. And this will prove to be a strength for Moses because he will so depend on God that he'll spend most of his time initially with God understanding who God is and, and getting relationship with Him like no man has ever had before. And I think this is very important that that the relationship that you have with God cannot be a casual relationship. It can't be just based on going to church a couple times a week and doing a little bit here and there. It has to be a consuming kind of a thing. Uh, if He's called you to leadership and He's called you to go forward for Him and to carry His Word, there's got to be something there where you have relationship with Him, where all of this understanding of how you're going to do it gets transferred, how you're going to, who's going to help you do it, uh, who's going to get you set up in ministry, who's going to mentor you, how how am I going to learn? All of these things have to be ironed out between. You and the Lord in order for you to be successful in what God calls you to do. And so God said, I will be with you. That's all you need to know. And this will be the sign to you that is I who have sent you. He said, when you have brought the people out, you will worship God on this mountain. In other words, there will be a time when you will be successful at what I'm giving you to do, and you will come back here and I will meet you again on this mountain and the, you will, the people will worship me here with you. So not only are you going to come here and worship me, but you're going to bring all those people out. So here's Moses' guarantee of success. God sees us successful in what he calls us to do. When we see evil multiplied on the face of the earth, know that God is raising up somebody. He must have people, though, who will pray. If that's your job to pray, then you pray. If it's your job to speak, then you speak. If it's not for you to speak, then continue to pray. But God has everything already mapped out. He has a vision of your success at the end of it. He knows what's going to happen at the end of it. And he sees you doing exactly what he wants you to do at the end of it. So he discloses all of this to Moses. He talks about the land that flows with milk and honey, the inhabitants who are on it, Uh, He doesn't tell him all the ins and outs. He will explain to him further uh, as you go along and you work out and walk out God's plan. If you hit snags and hindrances, all he wants us to do is go back to him for clarification and he'll explain to you. No enemy will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. You know, that kind of thing. So those are the fill-in details, but the broad picture he already tells him in one conversation. There's no reason that God will hold back and withhold information that's necessary for you for your success. There's no reason. And so he begins to tell Moses and outline everything that he's going to do for him as he goes forth and does his ministry for him. And sure enough at the end of I guess maybe about 18 or 20 chapters, 15 or so chapters, the Israelites are led out of Egypt. They do come back to the mountain to worship God there. But that's really just the beginning of their relationship with God. After that, they have to be given laws. After that, they have to be given rules. All of that kind of stuff has to come forth. So it's not just a one-time worship but it's God is creating a family on the earth that he can have continual relationship with so that Moses is essential in that thing. Understand this, that God has a broad picture that we all fit into. Uh, We don't often know the extent of of our interaction with people and, and the things that God gives us to do. We don't know all of the details, but he gives us a pretty good outline. Like he's given Moses a pretty good outline here. Anything God calls you to do, he calls you to be successful in it. But he wants you to do it through relationship with him, not on your own and not from, you know, somebody else's perspective or what somebody else thinks is success for you. But God has his own idea of what is success for you. Sometimes success really means just don't give up and don't quit. Because the, the pressure against us can be so strong sometimes just to relinquish what we're doing and give it over to the power of the enemy. And so in in serving God we have to realize that we all have given, been given a part to play and it's an essential part to play. There's no small players. There's no large players. Everybody has to do their part in order for God's Uh, mission in his ministry to be successful in the earth. And so God will speak into these dark situations to bring light and clarity, uh, to bring forth productivity and fruitfulness, to eradicate evil, to bring good. And to keep his plan prospering and flourishing in the earth. And so look for God to speak into these situations. If it's, if it's as bad as we say it is sometimes, we need to look for God to speak. We need to believe that God is going to speak. And we need to believe that God is going to bring change and bring it immediately. Sometimes we are the change that he wants to bring. Sometimes, sometimes we're told to pray and believe God that he will raise up somebody uh, who will take the lead and will do what's right and and clarify things on the earth and establish his kingdom in a greater way. So um, God will speak when his kingdom needs to advance. When we need to move forward in God's kingdom, he will speak into those situations as well. In Luke chapter 1 you'll see the announcement of the birth of Jesus. So it was the fullness of time. God knows when it's time. There have probably been many people waiting for when is the Messiah going to come. Sometimes people just forget it's ever going to happen. Just like the return of Jesus to the earth. Many people think that we're just going to uh, have a rapture. We're not going to have a harvest of souls before that time comes. We're not going to have an empowered church before that time comes. Some people think they're waiting on on Jesus to crack the sky any minute and and will leave. But but there are some things that God has promised to do in his word, and he's going to do them. And the same thing was, was true in the time of Jesus' birth. It was time for that. It wasn't time for the end of the world. And it wasn't time for the Pharisees to go on forever with their corrupt religious system. It was time for the Messiah to come forth. So in Luke chapter 1, if you'll turn there, you'll see that there was nothing going on. In fact, no prophet had spoken for almost 500 years. But, thank God, there was still the uh, the priesthood was still active And the priests were still doing their function, and one of those was Zechariah. In one eleven, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard. Now many times we will pray... And it will take such a long time, we don't even focus on it ever coming to pass, you see. And this is where Zacharias was. Now, you've got to understand that God is faithful. These people had gone to the, and progressed in age where it wasn't possible for them to have children anymore. But their prayer was still heard. And so God will do what he needs to do to get what he needs to get into the earth. And if he needs to visit an elderly couple, then that's what he would do. But he would single this family out to bring forth the Messiah. There was something about this family where they found favor with God. And they were singled out to bring forth such an important event into the earth. He said to him, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are are to call him John, he'll be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to drink wine or any fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from before his birth. And so these are very unique and unusual blessings that God is bringing. And he says many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God. So here you see a backslidden uh, group of people, people who are supposed to be sold out to God, but they're scattered, they're not serving God, and so God wants to gather his people back up again, just like he did with Moses, just like he did with many of the prophets, he's trying to be faithful to his word, to his people, to gather them back again. And so he says many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom. This is holiness. This is righteousness that he's preaching. To make ready a people prepared for God. Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is also well stricken in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that this happens because you didn't believe my words. Now listen, the Bible says even when we are faithless, God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. If he has to shut you up to keep you from messing up what he's going to do for you, he'll do that. And this is no joke. People think that the way God does things is always smooth and nice and pleasant. But God's deal is he wants to get the job done, just like he did with Paul. He had to knock him blind and leave him blind and able to eat and drink anything for three days in order to prepare him for what the great work he was going to have to do. It's the same thing with Zacharias. It's it's not God being mean or punishing him, but God does what's necessary to do in order to get the job done. There are many times where people are very attached to other people in their lives. You see different things happen. Now, this is something that uh, people say is, is controversial. But Sister Etter lost three of her children in early childhood illness so shortly after birth. Now she is convinced that it was because she did not obey the call of God on her life first to preach the gospel that these children did not live because there was no grace for them to be able to thrive. It wasn't for that at that time. There are many people who will do things because they can do them in the natural. And it definitely goofs up the plan of God for their lives, and they don't relate it in such a way. In fact, there have been people now who since have come along after Sister Etter, And corrected that and said God won't do things like that. But this lady knew God. Knew Him better than the people who are criticizing her 40 and 50 years later. Do you understand what I'm saying? So don't ever think that God won't delay certain things in your life because of a greater purpose and a higher purpose that He has. Look at Abraham and Sarah shut up her womb, they goofed up everything, and then later on in life, oh, it's finally time for this to happen. We thought it was when everybody else is doing it. You got me? This time issue and this issue of when we're supposed to do these things can be totally confounding to people because they never see God in it. All they see is we got to keep up with the Joneses. Everybody else is having their kids in 20s and 30s. Why aren't we doing what? everybody else is doing. I'm not saying that's, that's not okay for most people. But you can see for some people, God reserves that activity for when he releases them into that blessing. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. You have to either obey God and seek God for understanding, seek God for wisdom, seek God for knowledge, and and you'll be the odd person. Trust me, there won't be many people with that testimony. Because everybody else kind of tends to go about things in a natural flow and it works for them. There's going to be some people somewhere that the natural flow ain't for them. And they have to understand it. They have to respect it. They have to understand that it is the will of God for them in their life, in their situation. And so here we have uh, this couple, older couple, that are going to have a son. Uh, and the angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news, <laughs> you know? And so it's good news, Zacharias. It seems perplexing to you, but it's not. So the people waiting for him outside the temple wondered why he stayed so long. When he came out he couldn't speak to them and he they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he's making signs but re, um, remained unable to speak. And so he uh, went ahead, he and Elizabeth conceived, then we see God speaking again in the same situation. Many times God will have to speak personally to many individuals to get them positioned for something that he's going to do that's going to be Earth-changing, life-changing, totally revolutionary. And this is one of those situations. The angel then appears to Mary. And she's, uh, uh, um, in verse 26, it says, The sixth month God sent the same angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So everything about them lines up as far as prophecy is concerned. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Don't be afraid. It's okay for me to talk to you and it's okay for you to receive what I have to say to you. The wisdom from above, the Bible says, is first of all peaceable and it's easy to be entreated. It's not something that somebody's going to have to hammer at you to get you to receive it and understand it. So you see the angel converses with her. He says, you will be with child and give birth to a son and give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. And the angel said, Mary said, "How will this be, since I am a virgin? I, I don't know a man." And the angel said, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the holy one that is be born will be called the Son of God." And your your a relative Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age who is said to be barren. She's in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. So God begins to tie all of these people together uh, in a way that completes the picture of the coming Messiah. John is to preach, he's to be a Nazarene or a Nazarite, so that he has he's under a vow Uh, to stay uh, submitted to God, consecrated to God from early in his life. He must be a holy man in order to be set apart to God to get the message that he needs to get from him. They are cousins, and so they have a connection with one another. They can give one another strength. They're all devout people. They're part of the priesthood already. So God has set this up in such a way that these people out of spiritual habit are able to continue on and move into this new thing that God is about to do in the earth. So you'll see a transition in this family from Old Testament way of ministering into the New Testament way of ministering. So you know that it's not going to be a challenge for people to make that transition because the leaders are making the same transition that God is expecting all of the nation of Israel to make. And so they're able to receive directly from God their marching orders to participate in this transition and the birth of the Messiah and the setting up of of the final move of God's kingdom uh, on earth to bring in the church age so that the people of God can now be born again. They can now have the fullness of what God has promised them throughout all of these ages. Uh, Mary is, is She goes to see Elizabeth to have that prophecy confirmed that the angel gave her. She is able to uh, get a peace within her about what she's about to do. You don't see Mary questioning anymore uh, what God is doing with her. God clears up problems that she might have with Joseph, her intended. Uh, so that he knows it's okay to take her to wife, etc., etc. So as long as God has people who believe, he has room to move and complete what he wants to do in the earth, just like he's doing now. He he has to have a people who are believing him for greater power, greater authority, greater fruit to come out of their labors on the earth. If we don't believe that, we're never going to get done what God wants us to get done. And so all of this gets, sets up, gets set up because God speaks into situations where there's confusion, where there's darkness, where evil reigns. All of those things, gross darkness on the face of the earth, covering the earth. But it doesn't matter to God because he has a word that he can speak into these situations. He speaks to individuals to help them to know their place, to help them know what their job is. He'll speak to faithful people. If people are wavering, he knows how to make them faithful. He has the whole thing under control, folks. I mean, he knows where to speak, who to speak to, who to use, who not to use. And so when God begins to speak, you can look for things to transition. They will move and change overnight, He will move people into position that we never thought would be leaders, never thought had any potential to lead. He will begin to do those things because he has a plan all laid out, folks. He has a plan. He never quits. He never fails. And he uses whom he wants to use. It will be us. Amen. You can all volunteer to be used in this last move of God because he wants to use every able-bodied and <laughs> not able-bodied, he gets you able. All of those things he does because God, is, his plan is going to come through, folks. He doesn't care how dark, how ugly, how whatever it gets. He's, he's going to do it, amen? Just just tell him to choose you. Praise God. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to hear your word and to understand, Father, these things, that your voice will come and it will challenge the powers that be. It will challenge darkness challenge us even and challenge our bodies of clay our our vessels of clay challenge us to expect greater from you expect more from you expect great things from you expect to be used by you and expect to be blessed and honored by you all of that father we can believe it we stretch ourselves out to receive it we stretch our faiths up to a higher level now to receive what you have for us because it's good because you're good and your mercy endures forever and you have great things planned for us your church the body of believers ordinary people serving extraordinary God and we thank you for it Lord in Jesus name amen praise God amen if anybody needs